So, come as no surprise that we're reading 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and we'll be reading from verses 6 to 17. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting at verse 6. Hear the word of the Lord. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the traditions that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labour we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you are walking in idleness, not busy at at work, but busy bodies. Now such... Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Praise be. Uh, yes, so just in case uh, you missed it earlier when uh, Sue Wan was up here, um, Sean is going to preach for us tonight. He's uh, preaching the final sermon in our 1 and 2 Thessalonians series. But if you've been paying attention, you'll notice he's not here in the building. Unfortunately, he's unwell. So, uh, But not so unwell that he couldn't uh, do the sermon and record it for us. So uh, that's what we're going to watch now. Thanks. Hi church, sorry I couldn't be there in person. My name's Sean, I'm one of the interns there at Dunphy Bull Creek, but I couldn't be there in person tonight because I just tested positive, but the whole family tested positive to COVID. So we're all kind of at home and recovering. Uh, so sorry we couldn't be there, but we didn't want to spread uh, COVID with everyone. So we thought this might be the best way forward. It's not the best, I understand that and recognize that, but we do hope and pray that you would bear with us. And as we still unpack God's word tonight, and before we get into it, let's pray and ask our Lord to help us. Lord, we do pray that you would give us wisdom and insight as we hear from you, from your word. And we pray that you would soften our hearts to hear what you have to say. Lord, would you help us to be rebuked where we need to be rebuked? And at the same time, Lord, would you help us to be encouraged where we need your words of encouragement? We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we draw near to the end of 2023, 
already, it's often the time where we take stock of where we're at. Whether you're a student and you're finishing your exam, you're thinking about what jobs you can apply for. Or if you're saying for if you finished uni, what are some jobs you can look for? You might be thinking about your kids' classes and schedules and routines for the next year. You might even be reconsidering whether you want to stay in this line of work that you're in. You might even be thinking about how you're just going to make it through the next year. Whatever the case may be, I want to ask you, what is it that motivates you? What is it that drives you to desire work, to do work, to be diligent at your work? According to Forbes research, they found that there are five main motivators that drives a person's actions at work. These five things are achievement, power, affiliation, security, and adventure. But are these the things that ought to drive us as Christians? Are these the five categories that we would use? If not, what is it? What is the thing that drives us? What's the question that we're going to look at tonight as we conclude our series in the book, uh, Second Thessalonians, uh, this whole series? And we pick up from Paul's prayer that the word would speed ahead that Mark unpacked for us last week. That the word of the Lord would take effect. And here as he turns to his final instructions in 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 6. If you have your Bibles open with you, that will be really helpful as we work our way through this last bit of the book. And here we see that there are three groups of people that he's addressing. You have the disruptors, the brothers, and the disobedient. So starting at verse 6 to 12, we'll look at the disruptors. Let me read from verse 6. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you have received from us. See, Paul turns from the prayer to address this issue, a specific issue that's been pervading the Thessalonian church that was present. We saw a bit of it in one line in 1 Thessalonians 4, that some people were walking in idleness and they were not living in accordance to Paul's teachings. Now, I wonder what you think of when you hear the word idle. Oftentimes we might think primarily of just simply laziness or doing nothing, just like the car is being idle. However, it also can have the meaning of without purpose or without effect. Take, for example, when you say we're having idle chatter. There's no purpose. It's idle. What seems to be the big issue about this idleness? I mean, don't we all have those days where we're just a bit more apathetic, a bit more ho-hum? Well, no, for Paul, here he takes this almost militant stance. He He's commanding them. And he's calling upon the highest authority that's available. The authority that comes through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the command is this, keep away from those that are idle. Keep away from those that are living in idleness. Because that's not the way Paul and the apostles lived amongst them. In fact, that's the opposite. And that's why he transitions almost from verse 6, explaining the problem to how they lived amongst the Thessalonian church. Now have a look in verse 7 to 10. 
For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Well, what we see is Paul not living idly, not without zeal, not freeloading of the church. They worked hard. Why? Because verse 8, that they might not be a burden to this church. Now, they, they were apostles. They were sent to bring the gospel to them. They had the right to receive uh, funds or receive food or the church's help. But they didn't take it. Because in Paul's mind, he is modeling the same sacrificial service, the same sacrificial love that comes from the gospel. The gospel where the Lord Jesus, who came to this earth, not to be served, but to serve. That's why in his command in verse 10, if a person's not willing to work, well, that person should not eat. Why? So that he's not a burden to the church. So that he's not a burden to the community. When they could, they could, if they wanted to, avail themselves for work. They could avail themselves for their own food. So the key here is willingness. After all, there were likely people who were willing, but unable to work. Much like there is today for a variety of reasons. Whether it's sickness, it's illness, injury, disabilities, mental health. There are so many extenuating circumstances that could restrict us, even if we are willing. Even physically, they want to, but they just can't. These willing but unable are not the problem that Paul's addressing here. No, no, no. The church delights to care for them. The church delights to provide for these people. But rather, Paul has in his mind the serious Christ-dishonoring trouble with the able but unwilling. That's who he has in mind. Because keep in mind, this Thessalonian church is a church plant. It's a new plant. They have limited resources, and Paul doesn't want to put a drain on this church. This church that's growing in zeal, growing in gospel maturity, growing in love. And we see the issue expanded in verse 11. They're not just walking in idleness, they're not busy at work. Verse 11, for we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. It's a play on word that It's not that they're not busy. It's that they're busy doing the wrong thing. They're busy. They're just not busy at doing work. They're busy busybodies. And I wonder who you think of when you hear the word busybody. Whoever that is, think about what they do. Let me give you an example. Uh, Think of Dolores Umbridge in Harry Potter. Now, in Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, she's the Hogwarts High Inquisitor. And she has this role where 
she's watching over the whole school and she puts into place all these rules and regulations and she uses her authority to meddle into the daily lives of the students and the teachers, disrupting everything that they do and causing a whole heap of trouble. And in effect, that's what's happening in the Thessalonian church. Because they're not doing the work that they suppo- they're supposed to do. No, instead they've slacked on their role. They've become idle and disruptive busybodies. And so these people have no, in- no intention or no desire to do work quietly. They do it disruptively. And so Paul commands this person to not eat. If they're not going to work for their meals, then they should not eat. Because here's a church plant that's thriving. But for some reason or another, there's this group of believers that are just draining this plant of all its resources when it could otherwise get its own. Here is a group of people who are taking the resources that the planter toiled laboriously for. Night and day he toiled. You know, it's kind of like trying to repot a plant in a garden bed that's filled with weeds. I mean, the plant's just going to suffocate. It can't get any nutrients because the weeds are simply drawing all out. And that plant's not going to grow. It's simply going to die off to the plethora of weeds. See, the issue at hand is that these people are unwilling to work. And they're burdening and they're disrupting the body in Thessalonica. And at this point, you might be wondering, well, what, what happened? Why would they think that? And it's hard to know exactly what caused it. And one of the more likely possibilities is that the church had become so successful in loving and caring for one another and the community that some of them simply started to coast. They simply got complacent. They said, actually, I, if I just rock up, I can get food. I don't need to do anything. You see, they were receiving, but they were not giving. Now, it could be that these people were busybodies in discussing uh, in deep theological matters, and yet they refused to work because it was belittling the highbrow. Scholars, working with our hands is such a laborious task. Doesn't fit us because we're such highbrow scholars. Possibly. <clears throat> uh, those are the two more likely ones. But we don't know. We don't know why exactly, because Paul doesn't tell us. That's okay. What he does tell us is that these people are not at work and they're disrupting the church. Whatever the reason is, that doesn't affect the remedy he gives in verse 12. Here's his instruction for them. He says, now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own Living. Did you notice that? They command and they encourage. This is a hard instruction and yet they need encouragement. What are they told to do? Work quietly and to earn their own living. You see, instead of disrupting the church, they are to live peaceably with the church, not causing disruption upon the church and the community. Their behavior is is strikingly against what the Thessalonians were doing so well. Because you remember in 1 Thessalonians 1, 
the joy and the thankfulness that Paul writes about as he thinks of this church, as he's thanking God for this church. He says, you've received my message with joy. You were imitating us so well. And you're imitating our behaviors too. That's what he's commended them for. And that's what they're doing so well. We even saw that in chapter 1 of uh, Thessalonians chapter uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Sorry. So then if we think about what drives us as we consider how we work, the same thing that drove them ought to drive us. See, what drove the Lord and what drove the apostles to do what they did was you. You as the body of Christ for your good. That's what drove them. And that should be what drives us. Because we don't, we don't want to be a burden to one another. We want to work hard at our work in joy and in thankfulness to the Lord. And this is exactly what they were doing as they were commended by the imitation of the apostles. That they became an example to other believers. And that sounded forth to all the towns. You remember in 1 Thessalonians 1, all the towns surrounding them heard of their faith. Everyone heard how they turned from God, uh, turned from idols to God. You know, there's so many needs of the church. There's so many ill, so many lonely, so many suffering, so many lost and in need of direction. So many in need of support and guidance. Now, there's a variety of work that we're thinking of here but in particular he's drawing out the work that's the opposite of the idleness that we saw before you see rather than a disruptive complacency here we want to think of a diligent application of the gifts the capacities and the faculties that the lord has given to us and he's given to it he's given them to us for use in the home whether it's housework, whether it's with the kids, whether it's in our jobs, whether it's doing the job that we have well, building society, building communities, whether it's in our classroom, between the teacher and between us, between our friends, whether it's even just in our families, wherever the Lord has placed you with whatever gifts he has given to us, we are to work hard at these responsibilities. We're to take up these responsibilities at home, at church, at work, and in all spheres of our lives. We're to be diligent with the way that we work. Because we know that we are merely following the example of Christ. And as we think of what Christ has done, we can serve sacrificially. We can serve knowing that it's going to take up a lot of our time. We can serve knowing that it might hurt us. We can serve knowing that it's going to be hard. And yet, as yet we can know that we are merely following what the Lord Jesus has primarily done for us on the cross. As much as we're able to, we want to work hard to not burden the body, but to support it. But I don't want to make this a guilt trip. I don't want to say, oh, we need to do more. 
I don't want to preclude us from asking help from the body. Not at all. It's not a guilt trip for, it's not a guilt trip for the times where we really do need help, when we really do need support. Because absolutely, there are times where we do fall sick, where times where our kids get sick, times where kids are just unruly, where work is overwhelming, where our mental health, where our physical health is just completely fallen flat. If that's you, and you hear these words that call us to work hard in imitating Paul in his sacrificial toiling, and you feel guilt, and you feel shame, well, Paul's word to us is not these ones, but verse 13. And that's who we're going to turn to next. We're going to look at the brothers. Paul turns his attention to the brothers who are doing good, who are supporting themselves, supporting the church, and supporting the idlers. And in what is the shortest section for those who are doing good, Paul simply says, verse 13, As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. You can understand why one might be feeling weary in doing good, especially when you consider the idlers, can't you? Our hope as Christians lie solely in what Christ has done. The message of sacrificial love from a crucified Messiah who took on our sin, who took on our burdens. This is the message, this is the gospel that we hold on to. And yet it must be tied to how we live our lives. Because the lifestyle of the messenger who carries this message demonstrate this love, just like Paul did where we want to lift the burdens from people rather than imposing and bearing people down with the weight. But it can be wearisome when we consider how much needs to be done. Even in our church, there are so many needs and it can be overwhelming. It can be wearisome. Even in your work, I'm sure, even at home, even as you think of the many responsibilities that you already have, The to-do list just seems to be growing longer each day and doesn't find itself getting shorter. And that list just seems more and more draining as you see more and more reds saying that these are overdue, this is overdue. That might be especially true over this Christmas break because of all the work that lingers in our minds. Let me encourage you, brothers and sisters, Do not grow weary in doing good. As we reflect on this Christmas season, we have to accept the lot that we've been given. And in the slot that we're in, follow Christ. Lean on him. Don't grow weary. Remember who the one we follow is. He's the merciful Lord. The Lord Jesus, who Paul was following as he worked night and day. Jesus, the one who has lifted the weight of sin over our necks. He has freed us from that. That's what the Lord came to do. He came to free us from burdens, to free his people and to liberate them. To free, to free people as Christ freed us from sin and from our rebellion against God. Jesus came at a liberator at the cost of his own life 
we do good work because the Lord is good. We work and toil hard because as we work, we work in honor of the Lord who is good. And as we work and suffer hard for the sake of the body, we do it because Christ came to save those who are not good. For you and for me. Because without Christ, we cannot do good. The only good that pleases God is good that honors the Lord Jesus. Now, after all, there are charities and there are a lot of people who say that they do good. But is it for Christ? Are they doing it to honor him, to remember what he has done on the cross? Because what motivates us is nothing like the achievement, the power, the affiliation, the security or the adventure. No, no, but what, what drives us is to honor the Lord and the gifts that he's given to us. That's why we work hard. That's why we study hard. That's what drives us to do the job that we have to its best capacity so that we might display Christ-like zeal, Christ-like love, working well with the responsibilities that comes with the job. What drives us to work hard is to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's going to look different depending on where we're at. And yet, Paul gives us this encouragement. Brothers and sisters, keep working hard in following the example of Christ. Not because salvation depends on it, but because we've received salvation. We've received it through Christ alone. And as we follow this crucified servant saviour, in his exemplary example, let us then in turn sacrificially serve and love others. But of course, this doesn't mean that we ought to just get steamrolled by those who continue to disregard what the Lord had said, particularly when we think of the idlers. And so Paul turns to this third group in verse 14 to 15. Because what do you do if <clears throat> if they still refuse to obey these instructions? Well, verse 14, 15. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, <clears throat> take note of that person. Have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So what is Paul's command here is that some people are being idle and disruptive. They're being a burden. They're being busybodies. And if they do not heed this advice, then the instruction, then the command gets intensified. Because previously, <clears throat> in verse 6, they were told to keep away from idlers. That is to be weary of them, to avoid them. But here it's escalated. Because here in verse 14, it says, Take note of who they are have no and have nothing to do with them. This is something that, again, throughout this all, all these events, this is something that the church has to do. Here's an action that's not excommunication, but it's a warning. So that they might feel ashamed of their conduct. So that they would hear sound advice. They would hear the advice of Paul and the apostles in these writings and that they would repent. 
to escalate them because it's not to mingle or to associate them with them at all. That's how serious and intolerable this action is. And it is significant because it employs the same disciplinary action that comes in 1 Corinthians 5, which also speaks of not associating with any brother who is guilty of sexual immorality, greed, idolatry, revilers, drunkards or swindlers. Do not associate with any of them, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5. And it's this very similar, it's the same disassociation that's happening here. It is serious and it is intolerable. Because by being disobedient to Paul and his teachings that's been passed down to them, they're being disobedient to the Lord. This letter carries apostolic authority from the Holy Spirit who carried Paul as he wrote these letters. These are heavy words. These are words not to be taken lightly. And yet, and yet in all of this, Notice that he still regards them as brothers, not as enemies, but warned them, he says, as brothers. In all this recourse, Paul's aim is not to shame or guilt them for power, authority, but for reconciliation. That they might be ashamed of their actions, they would heed instructions after, after receiving this warning, and then they would repent. As he sends this authoritative letter, you might think, well, Paul's not going to be there. Who's going to make sure that all of this actually happens? Well, that's how Paul looks to close his letter. As we finally will look at who is the one that's going to be doing this. The Lord will. Have a look with me in verse 16 to 18. This is how he closes the letter. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way that I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. See, to a, a church that is anxious about the end times, anxious about these idlers, anxious about the weight of the work, the good work that's said before them. Paul ends this letter, not with guilt, not with shame, but a reminder to his readers that who, who is the one who brings peace? Well, it's the Lord of peace who is with us all. He is the one who will give peace to both the idler, to the brother, to the disobedient. He is the one who will ease their anxious hearts. They all need the Lord of peace and he is there giving them peace. At the end of the day, what drives us to work is the Lord of peace himself. Peace that comes from knowing that God has given us peace through the blood of Christ. This is a peace that has come from God's grace lavished upon us. And this is the authentic, trustworthy word from the Lord. As we look at God's great love to us in the Lord Jesus Christ, let's look at the work that is set before us. And even, especially when we feel overwhelmed, 
when we feel downtrodden, weary, anxious, and exhausted, let's look to the Lord of Peace, who will give us peace, who has brought us peace. And that's why we can have peace at all times and in every way, because it's founded upon the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Because if it's dependent on us, well, we know that peace is easily disturbed. I know with two kids, it's almost impossible to find peace unless you hide in the bathroom and lock the door. And even then, they will still find you. No, no, by ourselves, it's impossible to find peace, even within our midst, but more significantly, peace with God. Fundamentally, peace is only possible because it is given to us by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's only because the Lord has poured grace upon grace upon upon us all that we can experience peace with God. And that is a peace that lasts at all times in every way. And so let us rest our hopes, rest our anxieties on the Lord of peace himself, knowing that we are to work hard and to work diligently for the Lord. Please join me as we pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we give you thanks for your endless grace, your endless mercy, which you've poured upon us in the Lord Jesus. As we hear this word of warning against idle disruption, as we hear this word of encouragement as well, to lean on you as our only hope in life and death. Lord, we pray that you would be with us as we serve you alone, as we honor you with our lives. Lord, would you help us to not be idle? Help us to not be disruptive. Help us to imitate Paul in his zeal to serve in every area of life, to toil night and day, deliberately, intentionally, as if serving the Lord. Continue to help us to cast our eyes on the Lord Jesus. Help us to display great love to our friends, to our families, to our work colleagues, to our team members, to everyone that we know, that we may honor you as the one who has loved so much. Lord, help us to live lives that would point people to the love shown on the cross. And we can only do this with your help, with your peace and grace. And so we ask for your help to discern the parts of our lives that need warning and to the part of our lives that need encouragement to work zealously for the Lord. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.